Welcome to Wood Talk, crafting artisanal sawdust since 2007. Now here are your hosts, Mark, Shannon, and Matt. Nothing but the best artisanal sawdust. That's right. You heard it here first. Uh, Wood Talk number 377 for April 24th, 2017. On today's show, we're talking about trimming a frame flush to a top, a thousand canker disease, and selling your old tools. Before we get to that, let's thank a few folks who helped us out, specifically on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash woodtalk. We'd like to thank Niles Kretsch, John Sodervisk. That's pretty good, right? I practiced that sure, one too. That's, that's got to be accurate. Uh-huh, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, Alicia, <laughs> Alicia Bramlett and Preston Norris. Thank you so much, folks, for helping us out. We appreciate the support. And if you want to help out too, have your name mentioned at the top of the show like that, just go to patreon.com slash woodtalk. See all the different ways that you could help out and help support the show. Keep things going. Uh, someone even wrote in and said that you guys got to sell it harder like a little bit more of a PBS style campaign because they're on the fence. They really want to help, but they feel like they need to be guilted into oh it. My. Okay. And here's what we're going to do. they just want a tote bag. Right. And look, <laughs> here's what it comes down to. Uh, Cremona's son just had surgery. Uh, oh my God. My- <laughs> oh no. Oh no. <laughs> can, can, can I keep going with this? Cause I think this is going to end up in a really good place. <laughs> we need some, we need some music for that. Medical Definitely. bills are expensive. My wife was just in the hospital for five days and guess what we found out that the insurance like isn't covering hardly any of it. So that's, 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 a, that's a problem. That's a problem. Uh, Shannon's, Shannon's dog. He likes greenies and those are expensive. <laughs> yeah. Right. I just got a $2,700, uh, uh, dentic dentist dental surgery bill that apparently insurance won't cover so mm-hmm. yeah gotta love that stuff so yeah i mean we're, we're right. clear we're clearly suffering here folks and the only way we can get out of this hole we've dug ourselves into uh just by living our lives is if you yeah. go to patreon.com slash wood talk <laughs> i love that God. just by living our lives mark <laughs> has to cut his own grass for god's sake people i had to cut my grass this week and and do you realize how much work that is oh <laughs> I'm, I'm from I'm from Arizona. I don't I don't understand what grass is, and then I'm I am responsible that's why for cutting. You had kids was to specifically I don't care. Mateo can walk. Right, I'm to push that thing. But then he's going to injure himself, and then medical bills. We're we're full circle again. Tell him to walk it off. <laughs> Rub some dirt on it, kid. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you what. We are very bad at guilting people. You know what? You want to help out? We love it. If you don't, we still enjoy the fact that you listen to the show. That's all we can ask. And uh, you know what? Welcome back, Cremona. I don't mean to make a joke of your son. I'm glad to hear that he's... <laughs> Even though I just did. <laughs> Even though I just did at your family's expense. But no, seriously, I followed oh. along with everything. I'm glad he's doing well. I assume everybody's happy and healthy at this point. Everyone's good. It's been... It was a... Uh... It was a rough day. I can only imagine. For sure. Um, I, I think like it was bad. Like the whole like time leading up to it was definitely like that. Like in the literature, that whole like the climax, the rising action to the climax. Yeah. The climax was the moment they take your child from you <sighs> and bring it back for surgery. Mm. That, that was a bad one. Yeah, I, the only thing I can compare it to is Mateo had ear tubes put in very quick outpatient procedure, but it doesn't matter as a parent, someone taking your child away to do a procedure and you have no influence other than just sitting in a waiting room. Like that's, that's difficult. And for you guys, you know, that's major surgery. So, um, I'm just glad everything worked out. Yeah. Went, uh, went great. And then like happiest moment is like when like wheel him into his little room and you're sitting right there and he's in the, he's up smiling and kicking <laughs> back to normal. Like, right. Like didn't even notice. Like I've got uh, someone like cut a hole in my back and stuck a tube in me, and yeah, uh, yeah I'm happy. It's all good. Ain't Where's no my goldfish? Thing. I'm a Cremona. <laughs> That's right. Walk it off. Where's my logs, yo? 
<laughs> well, good, man. We're glad to have you back on the show. We really missed you last week. It was uh, it was about 33% yeah, less hairy than usual. <laughs> it, it took you being gone for a week, Matt, for me to say, I love you, man. Whoa, oh, man. There it is. Oh. The oh, moment you've been boy. waiting for, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Sprung it on you. Oh, when my son's old enough, I can thank him for this moment. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So let's get into what's on the bench. Get into the meat and potatoes of the show. I am still working on my chair. Really not a whole lot to update on. I started cutting the legs, but uh, the weekend is like all about house and family and yard work. And I don't get anything done on Mondays because it's like prep for the show. And next thing you know, we're recording. It's two o'clock and the day is pretty much over. So I haven't done anything new with it, but I do have the the rear legs are, are what I'm working on now. Cut all the mortises while the pieces are nice and uh, square and straight. And then I get to cut all the fun little curves out and see if this thing that I drew even looks remotely attractive in reality. <laughs> we'll find out. I'll have to let you guys know. So that's really about it uh, for me. What do you got going on, Shannon? Um, You guys ever like, you have like a go-to tool. It's like, this is a problem. It's going to be kind of difficult. I'll just grab this tool and kind of, you've either got a favorite chisel or plane or fancy (laughs) multi-router, something like that. Yeah. yeah, One of those. I I needed to shape, um, a molding across some ingrain. And it was just a situation where none of my planes would work. It was, it was difficult grain situation needed to be handled really uh, delicately. So I grabbed a, a scribing gouge. I've got a bunch of them. Some, you may have heard of them as in cannel gouges. Um, I've got a bunch of them floating around because there was a while there where I was looking for crank neck chisels and I would get like on an eBay thing, I'd get a crank neck chisel and a lot of like six, scribing gouges you know mm-hmm. you'd pay the 12 bucks to get the crank neck chisel and get a bunch of other stuff and kind of throw it in, in a toolbox and i kind of always knew in kennel gouges slash scribing gouges were pattern maker tools but i never really paid them much credence because i never really had a need for it mm-hmm. well i grabbed this thing and i thought you know this will help me got to cut across the ingrain and help me essentially transfer the pattern that i have now keep going <laughs> That's awesome. Sergeant Slaughter. and Roddy That's Roddy for the Piper. chat room. Sorry, I, I didn't think it would interrupt you. <laughs> you, can't, someone, you can't throw a WWF cup up. In yeah, front someone of asked what was on my cup and I just wanted to show it. Anyway, nice. this was a perfect opportunity to pull one of these things out, sharpen it, get it restored. Where have you been all my life? These things are awesome. Yeah. Like, I mean, pattern makers tools in general, you know, talk about being able to create really, really precise models and things like that. Um, they're just, I've got like six of them now that I need to go and, and sharpen up because I can't imagine where else I could use these things. They're just mm-hmm. one of those great tools that's kind of multifunction or really allows you to kind of fine tune a difficult spot. So, yeah, um, I'm in love with Matt, but then also with my scribing gadgets. <laughs> <laughs> scribing gadgets and Shannon sitting in the tree. <laughs> Oh, that sounds you know how really, the rest goes. Really <laughs> pathetic. <laughs> uh, Matt, what about you? I had a pretty good week. You know what? I think I'm going to lead off here with a quick review of the Wood Whisperer thread tabs because Mark doesn't want to sell them. <laughs> and right. I Do used it for me, them please. last week for the first time. Nice. I have to say, those are pretty slick. Yeah. Like, like really slick. Like, I, you know, I can see people saying like, Do you, you know, have it does a trick. No, Mark was too cheap to send me the metric ones. <laughs> I was too cheap to even send you the final version. You have like the prototypes. They're actually a slightly different dimension. So I'm glad you like them because they're going to get better. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, he always got to interrupt me. Sorry. <laughs> it was Shannon's fault. Uh, yeah, I'll, take, I'll take it. I had this whole thing rehearsed in my head, and now it's gone. Okay, go ahead. Start over. I can't. It's over. <laughs> anyway, it's, no, I found them really to be really, uh, really slick and really easy to use, and just like it made like sure you can use a regular metal tap to do the same thing. But I tell you what, the user experience on those things is like I don't even know, like so much higher than yeah, using good. a metal tap. So much good. good. And okay. <laughs> I'm talking, guys. Okay, sorry. I'm to do a we just can't. We can't stop. That's the, that's the problem. We like to talk over you. But but we're seeing the evolution of Matt. He used to let us talk over him. Now he's just like, shut up. Yeah, he's yelling at us when we do it. <laughs> only because, they grow like, up so fast. You're gonna derail me so much, and then like all the things that I was gonna, I was planning on saying, are not gonna get said. And I'm gonna be kicking myself afterwards. Thinking I didn't he's, say half the things I wanted. You just to have say. to learn to keep going. Like just because and we Mark's talk, never you gonna don't achieve stop. world domination in the tap market. And it's just all gonna come from there. You Seriously, know? Matt's trying to help you out here. Okay, man. all right, I'll shut up. I'll shut up. I have a banana. Should I just eat it? <laughs> should I eat my banana and shut up? Okay, go as ahead. As long as you don't try and eat it in any kind of like sensual way while I'm trying to talk about. Oh, this. I figure that would be dude, one of the most dude, disgusting to things to listen to. <laughs> go ahead. Don't let me distract you. by saying that he's going to do it now, right, Matt? Yeah, I figured he would, so the chat room would be happy at least. <laughs> I'm peeling it very slowly. Oh, oh man, look at you on dressing that banana. Look at that. Oh, oh. oh yeah. <laughs> Incredible, and, and people said that woodworking would never work in audio format. See, they finally are right. <laughs> there you go. All right, go ahead. Just get on appealing. with the show here. All right. So the other thing so I want to mention: tap, Matt. I tapped a half-inch hole for the bed to hold the rails to the posts. Um, half-inch diameter um, bolt or whatever, mm-hmm. thirteen threads per inch, and I went down over two inches. So I have two inches of threads in that post for that rail to connect to, and that's a. Uh, that might have been a little overkill, but I had <laughs> I had the space to do it. And one of the advantages of those thread taps is you can get pretty deep. And even that, like maybe that's like halfway to like the full depth that they can go, mm-hmm. which is like really? mind-bogglingly crazy. Yeah. And one nice, the first one I did, I was like, I'm so used to using like regular taps in the drill. I'm like, I gotta go all slow and kind of like ease into it all, whatever. Which is kind of true for a tap that size because you're removing a lot of material to cut those threads. But like, as they got more comfortable with it, I'm like, zip, zip, zip. right. Yeah. You realize <laughs> you can get go on. a lot faster. Yeah. You can go pretty fast. And the other nice thing about those taps that they would whisper taps is that they're like the bottoming taps. So you can tap all the way to the bottom of the blind hole. Whereas most of the taps you buy, like the hardware store they're um, I think they're called plug taps where like, they won't cut threads all the way to the bottom. Mm-hmm. So maybe that matters. Maybe it doesn't. In my case, it was kind of a nice little touch, but I have yeah, to say that they like, usually have some hey, sort of hey, taper sh- sh- to make it easier yes. to start or whatever. Yeah, so what is the, the what's the toe or the start of the whisper tap like? Is it is it because that taper usually makes it easier to start straight, doesn't it? Yeah, I didn't find there was so much of a difference though because the the, the whisper taps has a little bit of a of like a chamfer on the on the first thread, so it actually starts pretty easy and it starts falling the hole. The other thing with the the tapping in the wood is you're drilling. Like I found out that Mark told me, like you drill a smaller diameter hole than you normally would for steel, so you're actually like there's not a whole lot of room for you like go off of the the hole. You're really gonna right. follow it. That th- that thing's gonna follow that hole directly because you're just yeah. You're not gonna you really only have clearance for the, the shank and not the actual thread cutters. Right. You start with a crooked hole. You only have yourself to blame. Yes. Well, yes. Yeah. You drill as crooked. always. 
<laughs> you idiot. Can't you drill straight? Yeah, and that's kind of the premise behind the modification that we decided to make to undersize things a little bit because, you know, when you're talking about metal into wood, the game is different. And if you just follow the same dimensions that are uh, normally intended for like metal to metal or plastics, it, it's you're, you're sort of just leaving too much room there. So we can actually leave more wood into the hole and in the threads and the whole thing just becomes a little bit more stronger and secure. At least, you know, it's kind of what we're banking on at this point. I ran into that when I made that tool rest a couple of weeks ago, the depth thing was a real issue. Mm-hmm. Like I could barely get an inch deep before well, first of all, it was really clogging up on me. It was constantly like half a turn and then backing it out. But you, you're right, Matt. The um, First of all, it wouldn't go all the way to the bottom. So like I had to end up – the pilot hole ended up having to be like a half inch longer mm-hmm. just to get the depth of thread I wanted. But then like the, the tap itself actually swells into the shank. So maybe I just had crappy taps. I don't know. I picked them up at Rose <laughs> or something. Crappy taps. So you <laughs> crappy tap. So yeah, once you get past the threads, you're kind of SOL. You can't go any deeper. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. That's good I, to hear, man. And this is for the yeah. bed project, right? Uh, yeah. So big, big. I mean, that's the thing. You've got the best case scenario uh, for tapping threads in a wood situation. The the bigger the bolt, uh, the deeper the hole, the the stronger the whole thing's going to be. So you kind of gave it its best possible scenario, which is good. Yeah, and the nice thing about this is like there's no uh, exposed hardware from the outside. So like most bed bolts, you have to have a hole that goes through, or the bolt goes through the leg. You can mm-hmm. see from the outside. I didn't really want that. I think that would kind of ruin the look I was going for. So it's you know totally invisible and it's all on the inside and it's not going to go anywhere. Nice. I I have to say though that I did do. I had the uh, the ledger where the the mattress support boards sit on. Mm-hmm. I I tapped the holes for the bolts that hold that to the rails, and I used the core twenty tap for that. That thing is a joke after you use the half inch tap. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what is this dinky little thing? Oh, yeah, it's so tiny, right? Drill. It's so tiny. Yeah, it's, it's hard to believe it. It doesn't look like it's a quarter inch, but it actually is. And that one, you're like, it's like no resistance. You just just go right in. No yeah. problem. As fast as you want. It was, I, I was actually having fun. Like, I enjoyed tapping holes in the sawmill project. I actually enjoyed that process. I found it pretty therapeutic. I enjoyed tapping threads and wood with these things. It was just fun. Yeah. I'm like, oh, look, instant hole. Yeah. I think mostly because I know how much work it is to tap steel. Right. Yeah. And like, it's totally like, different is, in wood. This is a joke. <laughs> yeah. It can't be this easy. Nice. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Well, the, bed, the bed came out great. It's very um, Flintstone-esque. Yeah, isn't it? Think of. <laughs> it does have like kind of that chunky kind of feel. I'm really happy with the way it turned out. Like it was definitely like a experimentation project for me. And I didn't have any idea. Like I kind of, I had a very small idea of how it would turn out in the end, but I really let the wood kind of decide the overall design and uh, the final thing and all that. And um, over the weekend, it was at the Northern wood show, which is a show put on by the Minnesota woodworkers guild. It was on display there for what, four days. Yeah. Four days. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people stopped by that. Like, might like follow me on social media or something They're like, Oh, I saw your bed. It looks awesome in person. And it was really cool to, to hear that from people that people actually went there to see it. Like that was their, their goal was to see that bed. Was it, it was in the mall? Cool. Yeah. Just in the mall, like, like in the atrium, like yeah. a couple of the hallways all meet together. You sure they weren't well, just they there were. for the orange Julius? 
going to say, they were going to Sam Goody anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's like, what the, hold on, let me Google Sam Goody. Hold on. What's this? What is this? Records? Okay, let me Google records. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. I saw some of the pictures, and I guess you and was, um oh, what's his name? Uh, Charlie? Was he there as well? Because I think I saw he was posting some stuff on Instagram too. Yeah, he had a... Uh he did a picture frame and mat out of wood. So he had okay. a picture, then he had the matting out of, uh, I forget what it was, but it was some really straight green clear stuff. And then mm-hmm. he had like, I think it was a Peely frame around that with some kind of, I think it was an ebony inlay or something, but it was really, that was a really cool thing. Charlie is actually the one who organizes the whole show. Really? So a big, a big, like, I can't imagine organizing that. He's the, the chairman of that whole like committee that does that show. And it's, mm-hmm a lot of stuff to pull off he did a great job he does a great job every year and this year is definitely no different so thank you cool. charlie for all yeah, that Yeah, that's great i mean it seems like even just getting that venue to be okay with with doing something like that has to be you know kind of difficult yeah like we've they've been there for three or four years now and wow. it's been really good although i found out that uh they don't allow video oh, okay at the show really so, uh yeah yeah What's the point of that yeah, i think i went in a little hard this year with my actual camera and, uh, like I took it out right away and security was like, nope. So I was there That's on weird. Sunday with my cell phone. Everyone else was taking pictures on their phones. So I'm like, all right, <laughs> here we go. So I'll, I didn't get as much good footage as I had hoped for. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I'll bring like my, my tripod, I'll do a little video and like talk about it. Nah, nope. <laughs> so. That's all right. We'll see. You tell the security guard, but it's my piece. I even said that. I'm like, I'm, in the, I'm just taking pictures of the stuff in the show. I'm in the show. Like, doesn't matter. Wow. permission ahead of time but so that was uh, that was a fun weekend cool. i don't know i definitely nice. recommend if anyone has the opportunity to submit your work into a show like that it's a fantastic experience especially if you have the opportunity to have a show where it's actually judged uh like this one was you can elect to have your piece judged it's really interesting to get some uh let's go with like honest criticism or something along those lines mm-hmm. because you don't usually get that like from that person's other person's viewpoint that is like an actual like established, I don't know, person, woodworker person, <laughs> you know, established has, like, human beings. Established. What is that word? What's that? Oh, vetted, you know, vetted. Oh like, yes. Old, our favorite word. Oh, yeah. We know all about vetting. <laughs> oh, that's great. Great experience. Definitely check it out. If anyone, uh, if anyone has a show in their area, they want to submit something to their show. It's, it's fun. Nice. So hold up. So what kind of feedback did you get? Um, yeah, seriously. I have the sheets. They're upstairs. It wasn't anything too spectacular. One guy said the headboard felt, or the footboard felt a little high. Um, and then the compliments were, good job on the thick stock glue up for legs. That's usually pretty difficult. Looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, That's boring. I was expecting yeah. someone to be like, this sucks. Sorry. <laughs> this we is just terrible. set that up and just fail to deliver, Matt. Was... You know what? I didn't have, I didn't say I had, I personally had experience with good feedback. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> I there's the opportunity for it. <laughs> right. There you go. <laughs> He's got a point though. I mean, the, the way <laughs> for a while, like the internet was the wild west. And now I think we've, we've gained a little bit of decorum and now everybody's even afraid to offer feedback. <laughs> so now it's like, Oh, that looks great. You know, cause they don't even want to say I would do this because then they're afraid that they'll get jumped on for trolling or whatever. So yeah. Well, that's the problem. It's just like feedback is good. dichotomy of like BS feedback, like the pat on the back kind of thing. And then the people who are just playing a holes. And that seems like <laughs> yeah. there's no middle ground with that anymore. It's weird. That's true. 
All right, let's get into what's new. Got some stuff to share with you here. So Brandon wrote in, he says, Hey Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Sorry, Shannon, I just can't get the pre-Mona intro out of my brain. Between suffering through Sunday with a migraine and between naps, I stumbled upon a YouTube channel labeled simply Dorian Brock, or Brocked. So we'll put that link in the notes for you guys. It's just a guy doing some crazy complicated joinery uh, for no other reason than to do some crazy complicated joinery. Uh, I thought you guys might find it entertaining for me. Just another reason to say, I'm not worthy. Love the show. Keep up the shenanigans. P.S. I'm still curious to know how vinegar pie tastes. So am I. Still I, haven't I'm tasted it. Curious. I am. No curiosity. I hope it's tart and delicious. <laughs> Have you guys checked out that channel before? Tart and delicious? No, I don't. I'm not allowed to watch that anymore. <laughs> no, that's, that's on a... <laughs> That's on red tube, I think. Not okay. Oh. <laughs> no, he's right. It's a very, very good channel. There's some cool stuff on there. Cool. Excellent. I, yeah. I, like I should it. have previewed it before talking about it, but oh. I, I did not. I trusted Brandon is what that's about. I see. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, speaking of not vetting something before the show, uh, I'm quickly <laughs> trying to pull up the link that I'm about to talk I saw about. this one. I could tell you what it's about. Oh, wait. Yeah. Okay. I did see yeah. this. Okay. I shared that on um, Facebook. This was, uh, this is from Renee. Yeah. He says, what I like to call the slab bender. <clears throat> this is, um, what is the Sovereign Hill Museum? Yes. It's a living history right? museum in the wheelwright shop. And these guys are doing bends, timber bends, steam bending. But mm-hmm. this is not steam bending like you think with a nice little happy Windsor chair bow. This is like <laughs> a four by four. <laughs> bent basically back on itself and it imagine making a wheel and bending it completely around itself. It's pretty impressive, but it's cool because it's a, um, you think living history museum and I immediately go to like Williamsburg, like, you know, pre-industrial age. This is a, what defiance machine from the 1890s. So very much in that kind of cool steampunk era, like where my barns lathe comes from. Mm -hmm. So machinery was good. Machinery is great. Let's bend stuff you know, big stuff. Um, it's, it's worth checking out. I've actually been to a couple customers, um, like chair making customers we sell to that use like the modern equivalents of this, like some of the modern steam bending stuff. And it's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like you see them pull out this four quarter, eight quarter board, just stick it in this press and, you know, 900,000 newtons of force <laughs> comes down on top of it. And it's just kind of, okay, there's your bent chair back. You know, why well, are you going to steam it first? Steam? What's that? No, we're just going <laughs> to apply enough pressure and enough support. You know, if you've got the exact form supporting everything and they, they put like, um, they do this in this video too, where there's some sort of, um, like a, a form they put on top of it that provides full support on the outside of the curb where the fibers might split. And it, it's the same thing today, you know, but they don't even bother with the steam. They just throw it in the press and go to town. Crazy. Pretty sweet. It just looks like it shouldn't be possible. At that right. thickness, no matter how long you steam it, it should not be possible. It should just break, <laughs> but it doesn't. It's pretty awesome. I watched it, and I was slabbergasted. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Go ahead, Matt. I'm going to eat my banana now. All right. You eat your banana. Don't get too excited. <clears throat> too late. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, we have a good vibe going today. All right. <laughs> Next one is from Andrew. <laughs> I was sent this new story from a friend of mine. I know Mr. Cremona may have heard of this already, being it's in his neck of the woods. 
If stories like this reminds me how awesome the woodworking community is. This is a um, a tool library where they just opened it. I think uh, it was like a year ago or something, and like they were planning on having like having to take donations for at least a year. But one guy donated like all the tools they could ever need. Um, it's a really good story. He um, him and his wife had to move into assisted living, so they couldn't keep all of his stuff there. So he donated all his tools to the shop, and he actually goes there. I think pretty much every day and he's helping out with the people that are there uh, building things on the tools that he used to use. So it's a really, really great story. And I know we talk a lot about, or we've spoken about like maker spaces before, but tool libraries is another kind of unique thing that uh, beginners might have access to. If they don't have their own tools, they can actually check tools out of the library and use them at home if they, they need to do that too. So another option for beginners, I guess. Nice. Cool. Can't beat cool. that. Okay, you got some kickback here. Uh, Shannon, did you want to take that first one or? Sure. Okay, and I'll take the next uh, one. This is from Brandon. No, sorry, it's from Charlie. Um, he says, uh, these toggle boards are the only way to go. Why aren't they all made this way? He's referring to my track lighting installation and my toggle bolt saga. And it is funny because I've gotten a number of comments like this on across social media about, you know, you should try this toggle bolt or this toggle bolt. And everyone's right. Like there are so many better designs for toggle bolts and drywall <laughs> anchors than what they sell standard with track track lighting or with probably most stuff that comes with a toggle bolt or whatever. So I don't know. I guess the manufacturers are still too cheap to use the good quality stuff. And I guess I was too cheap to sacrifice the stuff that came with it and go buy something new. So anyway, he included a, an Amazon link to a toggler snap toggles, what it's called. And um, there's a couple of designs like this, but he's right. It's so much easier. It allows one person, you know, you don't have to have six hands to, to install the stuff. What so. makes them better? What, what's the, the deal with those? <laughs> Be- because they actually, um, snap into place um and you can because the big issue was with the the toggle you have to thread it through the track first because the toggle's got to be the other side of the track this actually will go into the ceiling and then you can actually hold the track in place and then set the bolt through Hmm, whereas you actually had to thread the toggle onto the bolt so it has to be threaded through the track and then you have to snap the toggles up to the ceiling well the track only bends so much. So depending on how close the hole, the mounting hole is mm-hmm. to the connection, sometimes it doesn't actually bend enough, flex enough to actually get the toggle bolt into place. This actually will slot up into the ceiling and then it's got one of those like threaded things. You've seen those drywall anchors that actually you screw into the wall and it actually threads into the drywall. This yeah. has that at the bottom of it. So you're actually installing the whole toggle assembly into the ceiling first and then just screwing in almost like you put a threaded insert in or something like that. Mm. Um, but it's also got a, a toggle on top of it that tightens down for greater surface area support on the backside. Nice. Um, click on the link. You'll see it. It's, it's kind of obvious when you look at it. It's also mm. kind of like, why, why don't they make this now? Why do these other why are ones they still all exist? like this? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like going to the hardware store and buying like, you know, snub pointed screws instead of pointed screws. What is it? The 1800s? Come on. <laughs> Okay, cool. Thank you for that clarification. All right. So we've got two other pieces of feedback. This was in reference to 
something not everyone heard. This was from the email extra. Uh, Shannon and I were having a discussion about lighting and his preference for sort of a, a darker lit situation with just focused lighting on what he's doing and and my preference for a very light and bright environment. So he threw that out to everyone and said, hey, do you have an opinion on this? We'd be curious to hear what you like and, and what kind of tools you use. So Jeff Thomas wrote and he says, let there be light on my work surface. I'm a hand tool guy and like my space well lit, which is not difficult in my diminutive shop. As for the getting high thing. Oh, I forgot about it. That was bad, by the way. Yeah. That was really bad. The music was way too loud. I couldn't get it any quieter in the editing. So <laughs> people who had to sit through that, my apologies. <laughs> uh, we played a song in the background through the whole show and it just was not, not a smart idea. So anyways, uh, James Wright. It was fun at the time. It was fun at the time. We had a good time. That's really all that matters, isn't it? Yeah. Right. James Wright wrote in and says, uh, for video, all lights on. For me, time focus. Uh, for me, time Focus the lighting, uh, keep it no more than needed, put on the soothing music, all hand tools. So that's uh, James Wright from Wood by Wright. Yeah, that's that's the Barry White style of work. Woodward. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yep. Have a glass of wine, sit there and romance yourself. All right. Eat a banana. Eat a banana <laughs> any way you want, from the bottom up, top down, oh, whatever it takes. Oh, boy. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, you're disgusting, Matt. You disgust me. Let's get to something wholesome now. See how boring the show was last week? <laughs> it all was these totally, banana jokes. Totally boring. Speaking of boring. Shannon's Lumber Industry Update. All right, what you got, Shannon? More bad news, I'm afraid. Uh, wah, wah. <laughs> we have no one to blame but ourselves for this one. Um, a new tariff has been passed on import plywood, specifically Chinese plywood. Now, you may be thinking, I don't buy that Chinese crap. You might be surprised. You might actually be buying Chinese crap plywood. Because the fact of the matter is, Chinese plywood, a lot of it is still crap. But they've actually gotten a heck of a lot better. See, when the Chinese first entered the market, it was like, well, we're going to set the market and try to make like a $20 panel. And they did. And everybody freaked out because it's suddenly really, really cheap. And then they realized, wow, this is total crap. So then the Chinese said, well, we can make it better. What's the price point you want us to hit? So slowly but surely, the import plywood has been getting a lot better. Now, you can still go to Home Depot and buy the worst panels on the planet from China. But you might be surprised that some of that quality plywood you're buying – I'm air quotes for those that are on the, watching the video, the quality plywood might actually be import. It might actually be from China. You can find 50, 55, even $60 panels coming out of Chinese mills. So when I say there is a tariff of an additional 10% on Chinese plywood, don't dismiss it because you may find that all your plywood is going to start going up 10%. Technically it's 9.89%. Thank you. U S department of commerce. But here's the issue. <clears throat> There are certain Chinese mills that basically just thumb their noses at the U.S. Department of Commerce and says, nah, we're not going to participate in this. So the U.S. Department of Commerce said, well, screw you, Gav. And they <laughs> threw a 111% tariff on top of those mills. Oh, baby. So some of this plywood is significantly more expensive. Now, let's be real. Those mills probably weren't terribly big to begin with. Most of your larger importers are probably not doing business with them. But there is next month in May coming a countervailing tariff from the U.S. Department of Congress, Commerce, that will probably put another 50 to 60 percent tariff on import plywood. So 
yeah, we did this four years ago and plywood prices went to the roof, both import and domestic, because I compare it to the gas station thing. The gas station across the street raises their prices. So the one directly across the room raises his prices because, mm-hmm. you know, well, you know, he's slightly under. He's seven tenths of a, a cent underneath, but he's still cheaper. We saw the same thing happen. The domestic producers raised their prices kind of to keep the difference the same. You know, so if they had a gap of $20, they kept the gap $20. So if the Chinese plywood went up 10, all the domestic guys went up 10 to keep that market gap the same. So we expect to see that happen. We expect to see plywood increase all across the board. But the scary thing is most people saw this coming. And because the tariff is retroactive for 90 days, people just stopped buying like at the beginning of the year. And they've been rationing out their current stock, waiting to see what's going to happen with the tariff in May. Well, the problem is there's this huge buying gap going on. And plywood, you know, it, it, you, it grows faster than, than trees, granted. But if you haven't been buying for three months and now suddenly you're running out of inventory and you've got to buy at the new stock price, there's going to be shortages in the supply-demand chain. So the price is going to go up even further. So yay, more good news. Plywood's going to get expensive. Mm. So, yeah, you might want to buy wood. It. Only yeah. solid wood. Yeah, there we go. Get yourself your solution. a couple of slabs. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't have it queued up, so don't, don't even try. There we go. Stay tuned. We'll see what happens in May. We really have no idea where the tariff's going to come down. At the same time, four months after the tariff was passed four years ago, it got voted down by the International Trade Commission. Because what they say is, well... You may think you're protecting American producers by in, in putting a tariff on foreign producers, but mm-hmm. what you're doing is just making it cheaper for people in Europe to build the same kitchen cabinets and ship them abroad. And now cabinet shops in the U.S. are going out of business because it's actually cheaper to buy cabinets in France or Germany <laughs> than it is in the U.S. It's all just Isn't that stupid. like the trick with economics? Like there's never yeah. anything that exists in a vacuum. Every little change, you go, oh, that looks like a really good idea. And then you're not thinking two or three steps down the line, something that's going to bite you in the butt. Yeah, it's it's um it's a special kind of economics. It's uh anyone, anyone, something D O O economics. Voodoo economics. All right. That's great. Okay, let's get into uh what do we have here? Our voicemail. So Barry left us a, a voicemail that just makes me uncomfortable to listen to. But you hear why. Hey Mark, Matt, and Shannon. I am going to speak in an accent because you said on episode three seventy one that is the most guaranteed way to get on the show. So here goes. Now, fellas, I got me here a question because I'm wanting to see about getting me a new sander. I got me one of them little five-inch round um, random orbit thingers, and it, it's only them oranges. I don't need to tell you the brand because, well, it's orange. But uh, I've been I've been reading about them uh, Rotex sanders by that Festo brand, and uh, I just wondered, are they magical like unicorns and, and everything like you read on them forums and like them people on the YouTubes that say they is? Now, Shannon, I know y'all, 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 y'all use no sandpaper because you, you use them fancy shiny metal tools. And, and what sandpaper is sometimes that question you ask. But I guess this is really then for, for Mark and Matt. What, what y'all think? Is Rotex one of them good things? Is Rotex going to make my sanding life easier and make me a happy man? Or, or am I just going to spend a bunch of money and get this green thing It's just going to sand just like my orange thing? So uh, I hope y'all will answer my question, and I hope that accent got me on there. And if it don't, well, I hope y'all enjoyed it anyway. And uh, <clears throat> now that I have insulted everyone in the Appalachian region, <laughs> where I actually am from and live, I think I'm done. 
And I'm not giving my name or anything else because, well, I don't want death threats. You know how that goes. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So too bad his name was in the Skype message. Like, I know what his name was. I think I said already Barry. I won't give your last name, Barry, though. You'll remain anonymous. Yeah, sure. Okay. So what are we talking about here? I, I, I had to listen to it like three times before I actually heard the question. They're they're like unicorns of that if you pull the dust collection hose off, the dust is actually rainbow colored. That's right. So, <laughs> yes. There is that. It's more expensive <laughs> dust. Uh all right. So the Rotex, I mean, I, I'm I'm a little bit bullish on the position of the Rotex in the market. I don't think most people need it. I think if you're doing a lot of rough stock and maybe refinishing projects, that's where I find that I use mine. If I've got to, you know, tear down a whole bunch of poly off of a surface, that's a great way to do it. Think of it like a belt sander that you got a little bit more control over. And when you put a low grit on that thing, holy smokes, can eat like seriously eat through some wood. The problem with the Rotex I find is it's balance. So that by the time you get to your higher grits and trying to use that as your primary sander, for, especially if you're not doing refinishing all the time, uh, for me, I'm doing mostly finish sanding. And that process with the Rotex is cumbersome. I don't enjoy it. I like a very uh, centered, balanced sander that's balanced on its own, whether I hold it or not. And then I just have to kind of position it and move it around. Um, so I'm not a fan of it as a general sander for most people. But if you have something where you do have a lot of heavy-duty work that you might normally use a belt sander with, I think it's one of the best ways to aggressively remove material. Well, now, if you were – because he asked specifically about the Rotex, but then he kind of was comparing against the orange thingy, which you know I think if you were to look at one of the ETS models, isn't mm -hmm. that what they are? The smaller yep. ones, 125 or whatever. Um, if you were to put that out there, what would you say? Uh, well, that's the thing because the Ro the the Rotex is the thing that – you look at in the market and you go, okay, it's different. This one is clearly yeah. doing something the other sanders aren't doing. The cell for most people is going to be a little harder for the ETS because it's the same format. It does the sure. same thing. And one might make the argument that there's less vibration, that maybe, I don't know, the dust collection on it is going to be better. There's, there's arguments to be made, but they're not nearly as strong as a fully functional difference between what one sander can do and what the other can do. So if you want those features, then the Rotex might be, you know, the only game in town and, and you'll be happy with it. But I would say, and yes, that Rotex if, was as close as I got to power carving. That thing is pretty sick. It's hard. You put like a 40 grit paper on it and put it on the orbital, not the non-orbital mode, whatever yeah. that's called rotary mode. And it's ridiculous. It's yeah. what I imagine that, that power carver thing is that scares you that you have Mark. <laughs> right. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> The, uh, what is it? The Lancelot uh, chain. That's what it was. Thingamajiggy. Yeah. Uh, so I yeah. always found the dust collection to be just a little bit better on the Festool, whether as Rotex or mm -hmm. ETS or anything like that. There's no question their dust extraction is pretty amazing because that's the thing that I hate the most about sanding. I hate that fine dust. It gets everywhere. Yeah. And um, man, <laughs> you just don't see it with the Festool. But I also haven't tried another sander in many, many years, so they may have caught up and figured it out. Could be. Matt, what do you think? Have you uh, used the Rotex before? Uh, I've held it at the at like shows, but I do have the, the Triton Gyros, which is like kind of the same thing. And I have to agree with you, Mark. It's always, even before I had that thing, I kind of had that same kind of feeling that like I knew that it probably wasn't the best suited for uh, like finish sanding or getting up there in the grits. Mm -hmm. uh, just the balance is just not really something I find comfortable. So, but like for like your first grit, like if you have some tear out you gotta get rid of, or your planer knives are a little dull and you have kind of a rough surface or whatever mill marks, your first uh, pass with your sander for that kind of thing, it goes pretty quick. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really a two-handed tool. I mean, they've got it, yeah, that little auxiliary is. handle that yep. screws into the side, and it's a lot more comfortable to use when you put that handle in place. But, yeah, I don't really see myself with 220-grit paper and two-handed, like, barreling down on it. Now, the hard really thing work. about that, too, is, like, if you lose the balance at all and, like, it tips a little bit, yep. then you get some serious scratches that you, you know, spend some time getting rid of those things again. Yeah, and that's fine yeah. on the lower grits when you're working your way up, but yeah. not, not when you're on your higher grits. You don't want that. And they always say to throw the vacuum hose over your shoulder and that just kind of gives it a built-in counterbalance and it's like oh, that, that's great but i don't want to have to do that you know what i mean like that's fine that, that that's it works the marketing that department spinning right there yeah yep. like that's not a feature <laughs> um so i looked up this triton thing i thought you said triton euros and i'm like looking up, uh, trying mm, to find delicious. some greek food uh made by triton mm. so is it this tgeos thing yeah they euros gear driven orbital sander or and they want like you that. to actually pronounce it Gios? I don't know. I just you're just I making see letters. Up. I just say it. You just took their money and run, didn't you? That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Mark, you're off the hook. Oh man, Yay! Matt's on the spot with his Triton money. That's right. What a sellout! <laughs> Haven't done that in a while. Oh, that's what we should have our voice guy do. Is a, a clip of doing the that. sellout line. Oh, that'd be perfect. <laughs> I'm gonna have to call him. Find out if you can do one for us. All right. So if you want to leave us a voicemail like that uh, anonymous guy making fun of Appalachian people, the peoples up that way, uh, leave a voicemail on Skype. And our username there is Wood Talk Online. And we will gladly play it on the show or do like he did and actually record it on your phone and just send us the file. And it, uh, that actually has the best quality of all. Okay. What do you say we get into emails? Okay. Um, this one here is from Rob. He says, I'm finally gluing up my coffee tabletop, which has a plywood center panel in a two-inch hardwood mitered frame. I've deliberately left the hardwood slightly thicker than the plywood, about a 64th, 32nd of an inch. Do you have any tips or tricks for leveling the hardwood with the plywood that minimizes the risk of cutting through the veneer? And obviously, that's that's a big problem. Now, normally, it's not that much Scribing of a... gouge. Oh, uh, what now? <clears throat> a scribing gouge. Okay, that sounds fun. Yeah. Um, if you normally have like a, a very thin trim, like a quarter inch trim on a piece of plywood, it's a lot easier, right? Cause it's mostly, you could reference from the plywood surface. You don't have that much hardwood to remove in this case, two inches. That's going to be a little bit more of a headache because whatever you do to remove it, you also run the risk of taking your top out of flat. It's very easy to like round it over or make some kind of a bevel, uh, and just, you know, it can be messy or worst case scenario, you burn through your veneer on the tabletop. So I think how I would approach that is I would probably take a plane, maybe even a block plane doesn't have to be really big. And I would carefully, you know, with the plane starting, you know, mostly on the plywood side, uh, push outward on a nice, pretty significant angle. So you're just slowly working down that edge and you got to take a super, super light cut because uh, you just want to remove the bulk of the stock and just make sure you're not in any position where that block plane can actually tear into your veneers. It's probably going to take a little finesse uh, to do this, but ultimately you just want to get as much as you safely can down. And then I would say switch to a card scraper because with a card scraper, you can keep most of the card scraper on the plywood and put a little bit of a uh, blue tape on that, that side. So whatever's touching the veneer is protected by tape and then just kind of work it down. So it stays nice and flush. Uh, and then once you get that, even down to a, it's, you're basically only going to be able to feel the difference with your finger by that time, then you can give it a light sanding and it should come out nice and, and flush, but really take your time with it because there's just too many ways that you could jack that up. If you're not careful, you guys have any other better ideas than that? 
No, it's good. I like it. Thank you. Shannon approved. Ding. Involved plane. <laughs> I like that. I've one upped. <laughs> Achievement unlocked. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. This next one is from Rob. It says, when replacing slash upgrading a table saw in your shop, how much should you look to get for the one you're replacing? Should you let it go from bottom dollar or hold up for more? If you're selling, what's your goal? I'm asking in general, but specifically, I'm replacing a Delta contractor saw outfitted with a 52-inch Beesmeyer fence and mobile base. Hmm. So in case anyone's looking for a Delta contractor saw with a 52-inch <laughs> fence, give Rob a call. He's your man. There you go. I get some free that was, advertising. That was crafty, for Rob. Very crafty. Nicely done. <laughs> so like the, I've, I've sold a lot of tools in my life. Uh, I've definitely taken the upgrade path as I've uh, acquired my tools. And my general like formula, if I have one, is if I bought the tool brand new, I usually list it around 60 to 80% of that value. It's not, if it's going to be on Craigslist because there's always some haggle room. Someone wants to talk you down or whatever. So maybe closer to 80. If I bought it used, I list it for at least the price I paid for it, if not more. And usually I end up getting more. Hmm. So I don't know. I hate selling tools. Yeah, me too. I hate selling anything. Like I'm trying to sell that. I uh, tend to get people a real deal because I'm just like, get it out of here. That's how I am. Yeah, I go for bottom dollar because I just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. People coming to my house, looking at my stuff. You know how it is. It's terrible. Eat your bananas. Eat my bananas. All right. Who's, are we done? No. Shannon's No, not quite. I got a question from Mr. Drow. He says, I've been offered some wood from a walnut tree here locally that is dying from thousand canker disease. From what I can tell, the beetles and fungus only affect the sapwood on the outside, which still leaves the dark hardwood intact. I'm wondering, though, if I'm taking a risk by bringing this anywhere near my shop, since it may or may not have those beetles in it. This is a valid concern with this type of thing, or will it be okay to transport it to my house and then have it milled into slabs? This is, it's a little tricky, um, Mr. Drow, um, but you are right. The the infection, the thousand canker disease, for those that don't know, is a, it's a combination. It's not, it's, uh, it's incredibly infectious, and it's basically touched uh, coast to coast. Hasn't it all 50 states, but it's pretty dang close. Um, it's a combination of a beetle and a fungus. The beetles actually bore into the wood and in doing so actually infect the walnut with a fungus. So it's kind of, it's very fast acting. You can imagine instead of just the beetle eating it alive, the fungus is also rotting it away at the same time. Mm. And it's really wiping out the walnut, specifically just walnut or uh, specifically that genus, the Euglens genus. So like butternut is all susceptible. The various species of walnuts, black walnuts and things like that are all affected. But the beetle really does not move beyond the bark and the cambium layers. Um, the sapwood possibly, but even a lot of people, um, and it's interesting because I was just talking to um, a sawmill owner last week about this, and he's not finding them in the sapwood either. Um, what it really comes down to is all the sugary sweet stuff is in the bark and the cambium. There may be a little bit in the sapwood, but again, it depends on when the tree was felled and whether or not the sap was rising. Um, the problem is it's highly infectious and the bark and everything that has the stuff in it, you can't chip it up. And that's what a lot of municipalities are doing. There are, well, first of all, they're chipping the entire tree. Uh, but even if you strip the bark off, you have to burn it. Chipping it still leaves mulch and these 
beetles are really small and the fungus of course is really small um and the beetles can actually still continue to bore into like the mulch bark and things like that so he says it's local you need to check and i would actually recommend going to i think it's thousandcankerdisease.com um and there's actual um affected maps and that you can drill down into local county level to see where quarantines exist if it's just kind of down the street, you're probably okay because the infection's probably in your neighborhood already anyway. But it's one of those things you got to be really careful. You need to get that bark off as soon as possible, and you need to burn that bark. And then to be safe, when you mill that lumber, um, you, you should be okay in the heartwood, but you probably want to kiln dry it. You want to get it heat treated. Um, you can air dry it. You might be okay, but is it worth the risk? You know, they're saying at this point that the bug is not transferring into other species. At least they're not finding it in other species. But it might be one of those situations where, you know, it's not like the bug is like, oh, I only like walnut. You know, if it's sitting next to a stack of oak, is it not going to jump to the oak? I don't know. You ask the bug. See what he answers. <laughs> see what he says. So, you know, you want to be careful here. I do think you're okay getting the wood. Just get it kiln dried. Um Build a kiln yourself if you if you need to. Just don't burn your house in doing that. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's the thing. It, it is one of those things where thousand canker, emerald ash borer, powder posts, they're all instances where technically the heartwood should be okay. And what we're finding, guys like Matt can actually make a killing on this because the municipalities just are chipping it up. Well, which is actually spreading in this case, it's spreading it even more. <laughs> but they don't they don't want to deal with it because they don't have a sawmill close by. And because there's a quarantine in place, it's not like they can load it on a truck and ship it off mm-hmm. somewhere. So what they're looking for, if there's a guy that will come to them and mill it, you can get wood for free like crazy. Otherwise it's going to get chipped up and and it'll be gone. You know, that's why people are now calling ash the next American chestnut. Within five to ten years, ash will be gone. Because they're just cutting it down and, and shredding it. And, you know, there's nothing in the heartwood, but they don't know any better. And there's nobody to come and saw it up for them. So moral of the story is go to Matt Cremona's YouTube channel, build a bandsaw mill, <laughs> put it on wheels, hook it up to an RV, <laughs> right? Mystery machine on the side and solve mysteries and saw lumber all at the same time. Oh, Make sure I have a great geez. Dane, too. Zoinks! Would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you darn kids. This darn solved Mr. Smithers <laughs> runs the carnival. Right. All right. Well, you know what? We have an extra show that happens after this one. And if you're interested in hearing that, just go to patreon.com slash woodtalk and sign up for the $4 or higher level. And uh, it's our way of saying thank you. You get a little bit and of extra help our content. medical situation. That's right. I mean, we're really in a dire situation here, folks. And if, uh, <laughs> if that doesn't make you feel guilty, you're heartless. Oh, so <laughs> I love it. All right. And uh, let's see. The topic today we're going to talk about is getting over the fear of woodworking with precious wood species. So that should be interesting. Precious. Precious, my precious. All right. So uh, if you want to support the show, of course, you can do that at Patreon. Patreon.com slash Wood Talk. You can get a Wood Talk t-shirt at TWWstore.com or you can leave us a review in the iTunes store. It costs you nothing but a couple of seconds of your time to go and give us a nice review there. And Shannon, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. Absolutely. If you want to find out all the things that Matt can tap, if Matt could tap wood, Woo! you can do that on <laughs> Skype. <laughs> Thank you for that, Matt. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Anytime. I love you more now. <laughs> Much more than Mark. Oh, Our username wow. on Skype is Wood Talk Online. Our voicemail is 623-242-5180 or just go to woodtalkshow.com slash contact 
and leave us a comment there or leave us a question there or whatever. Just send us all the things you could tap. Mm-hmm. And uh, that should do it for the show. You can support us all kinds of ways, but you can go to the woodwhisperer.com, renaissancewoodworker.com, or itapthat.com. Hey, oh, <laughs> nice. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. Bye. See ya. <laughs>